Talk to my friend Drew Allen. And I'll tell you what, he's a tough guy. A millennial conservative. I've, I've become a big fan of One your writing. One of the great young thinkers of our time. Appreciate his opinion. Conservative Drew Allen. As die-hard conservative. I'm to this guy for wisdom. Yeah, I feel pretty disappointed, like many of you out there. But we had unrealistic expectations going into these midterm elections. And that's really the root cause of any malaise that you or myself are feeling today. Because the midterms, we did not get the result that we were led to believe that we were going to have, that there was going to be this red tsunami. The only indication of a true red tsunami took place in Florida, and that is something we'll talk about. That is relevant. That is important. There is a lot to glean from that. That's something we can celebrate and be proud of. But our expectations, you know, the polls, they misled us. And that's the root cause of all of this. Look, what was the goal of the midterm elections? <clears throat> yes, yes, yes. We wanted to send a message to Washington, D.C. We wanted to send a, a message to Joe Biden and the Democratic Party. Right? It was going to be a repudiation of this administration. And the more seats we could take back, the more upsets that took place, Right. The greater that show. Making our voices heard, making our objections known, taking back our country. That's fine. But at the end of the day, the goal was to take back the House and the Senate. Now, it looks like we're going to take back the House still. It's not the red wave, the red tsunami that we thought was going to take place. We're not getting as many House seats not even close as to what we anticipated and expected. But it does look like we're going to take the House, and that's all that matters. Now, the Senate, we'll get into it in a little bit. It looks like it. we could have a majority there. It could be a, a one-seat majority still. The verdict's out, but it could be 51-50 Republicans. And if we take back the Senate, mission accomplished. The midterm elections were not going to repair America. We don't have the executive branch. Joe Biden is still president. He can veto any piece of legislation. The midterm elections were a tourniquet. It was about slowing and stopping the bleeding, the damage that has been done and would continue to be done to America if the Democrats retained control of the House and Senate. That was the objective. And achieving that, taking back the House and hopefully even a one-seat majority in the Senate, mission accomplished. Now, I want to make an analogy here. And we're going to go through some of these races because, as I said, there is much to celebrate. Look, you can, you can isolate certain races, certain results, and you can find cause to be enthusiastic and optimistic, or you can isolate certain races. And you can allow those instances to make us pessimistic, to make us question ourselves, to be discouraged. But it is not time to panic. It is not. It is not. Feel disappointment if you want. But don't let that drag you down because that's what the Democratic Party wants. And they are already trying to massage and create this narrative to discourage us, to discourage us. Now, let, let's look at how the table was set going into this, right? Anything short of a shellacking, we were going to be disappointed. Anything short of a shellacking, and the Democrats were going to find cause to be optimistic. We didn't have realistic expectations going into this. Now, look, I grew up uh, in Dallas, Texas. That's where I was born and raised. Now, I, of course, I live in the communist state of California. 
But as a Cowboys fan, I mean, I was born in 87. So what? We had a string of Super Bowl wins in the 90s. What? 96, 94, 93, somewhere about there. Close enough. Three of them, though. You know, when I was, you know, the last one, Super Bowl, the Cowboys won. I was, what, nine years old or something like that? And that's when they kind of became America's team. Now, still to this day, you know, the Americas have the, the America's team, I should say. The Cowboys. Look, it's painful, right? But the problem with being a Cowboys fan is that every single year or every other year or every few years, you've got people out there that are saying this is the Cowboys team that's going to win the Super Bowl. That's put out there before the season begins, right? They make these trades. They get these deals done. Of course, the Cowboys are out there. You know, they want to sell tickets. They want to strengthen their base of support. And they want to win. They have a reputation to maintain and uphold, even though, you know, there have been three other America's teams since the Cowboys reign. But my point is this, you know, if you go into every season as a Cowboys fan expecting them to win the Super Bowl, if that's what you believe is going to happen, if that's what you're told is going to happen, anything short of winning the Super Bowl is going to what? Lead to disappointment. And that's what happened here. Unrealistic expectations. That's why we're feeling defeated today. Now, I just want to kind of break from camera here. If you're watching this, uh, many of you are just listening on the podcast. This is Drew Allen, by the way, your millennial minister of truth. Look, um, here's what I mean about these unrealistic expectations we had going into Tuesday. Polling, right, indicated, this is what we were told, that Lee Zeldin, the Republican gubernatorial candidate in New York, well, we were told that he had a very, very realistic shot of defeating the Democrat, Kathy Hochul. We had all these polls coming out, right? They showed Zeldin slashing Hochul's lead from 17 points to four points over the course of a month, a month and a half. But on Tuesday, what happened? Hoka won the election with 52.9% of the vote. Zeldin got 47.1%. So it was a fairly comfortable win by Kathy Hochul. Now, this was devastating if you believed that the Democrat stronghold of New York was going to flip red. But that was a pipe dream. That was a pipe dream. And if that's what your only expectation was, the fact that Lee Zeldin didn't become governor of New York, well, you're ready to throw up your hands. We lost. But I want you to consider something. Just four years ago, in 2018, New York elected the Democrat governor, Andrew Cuomo, with 59.6% of the vote. In that 2018 election for governor, the Republican candidate, Mark Molinaro, he got 36.2% of the vote. So New York didn't elect Zeldin yesterday, but he did perform seven percentage points better than the Republican candidate just four years ago. Now I want to give you some voting numbers too to go with this. We're talking about what happened in just four years. The New York governor race in 2018 versus this year, yesterday, 2022. In 2018, Cuomo got 3.6 million votes. 3.6 million. Four years later, Hochul, the Democrat candidate who won, she got under 3 million. Poof. 600,000 Democrat voters vanished. Didn't show up, didn't vote, whatever. Now, Molinaro in 2018 got 2.2 million votes. Zeldin got over 2.65 million in 2022, yesterday. So in New York, yes, Zeldin was not elected. We didn't flip New York red, but that was a pipe dream. 
But the pendulum did begin to swing Republican, right? Hochul got 600,000 fewer votes than Cuomo did just four years ago. The Republican Zeldin got nearly 450,000 more votes than the Republican just four years ago. So look, I think part of this too is the fact that we who understand the root cause of this pain in America, this regression, this economic wasteland uh, that is becoming America thanks to Joe Biden's policies, the Democratic Party policies, the gender theory. I mean, I just saw something the other day a buddy sent me. Um, Something like 34, 35%, I want to say, somewhere in there. It could be closer to 40. But between 32 and 40% of gen- Generation Z, right, Zoomers, they uh, are suffering from mental illness. Is anyone surprised by that statistic? I mean, I mean, talk about expectations. You know, the, the, the Zoomers have been taught that any kind of opposition they face in their lives, any hardship, any any failure, well, well, that makes them victims. You know, they believe they're supposed to be guaranteed success, that life isn't supposed to be difficult. And so if you approach life with that mentality, the most coddled generation in world history, and you approach life looking at any kind of obstacle in your way, any hardship, any challenge, is something that's unfair, what happens to you mentally? What happens to you mentally? And I want to say something else. You know, we understand how important and urgent what we have a sense of urgency about fixing America. You know, we we look at the damage that's been done just in two years under the Biden administration, and we understand that America cannot take much more of this. Hence, the importance of stopping the bleeding, which we're going to do, okay? But the Democrats have been at this, right? Dismantling America, destroying America for 70-some-odd years. You know, that goes back to the creation of the Lyndon B. Johnson welfare state, Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, the, the, the erosion of the nuclear family, the devastation to the black family in particular, soaring crime. You know, the war on poverty that essentially created a permanent situation in America of consistent poverty because of welfare programs that incentivize failure, not success, disincentivize marriage. So they've been at this for a long time. You know, and look, the Democrats have, we know this, they have infiltrated the public education system, academia, boardrooms, corporations, Federal bureaucracies, the FBI, the EPA, you name it, the IRS, they control Hollywood. They've had monopolies in in network news, social media, censoring, silencing, controlling and manipulating narratives, crafting reality. I mean, look, they successfully shut down the United States of America over COVID using, weaponizing all of those aforementioned organizations in the federal governments, corporations, boards, news, media, to suppress truth and promulgate the lie and the fear so that what? They could use the pandemic to empower themselves. Did we really think that in one election, in the midterms, we were going to fix all of that? 70 years they've been at this. 70 years. All right? Look, um, you know, we can talk about Pennsylvania. You know, that was a gut punch. It was. 
Uh, John Fetterman, look, he was a bad candidate before his singular debate with Oz. And after his stroke and after we saw that debate, he was a, well, he should have been an unelectable candidate. I mean, he was a radical and a liar before the stroke, before the debate. After it, he, you know, he, he he's uh, mentally deficient. I mean, he lacks the basic mental faculties to process information and articulate basic ideas. Anything remotely resembling a coherent thought. But Fetterman was declared the victor in Pennsylvania. Senator Fetterman. You know, and at the time, you know, uh, you know, it could have gone up or, you know, a little bit from here. But, you know, he got roughly 2.5 million votes. He beat Oz by more than 100,000 votes. How is that possible? Well, 500,000 votes had already been cast in early voting before the Fetterman-Oz debate. How many of those half a million voters who voted for Fetterman before witnessing that debate performance, how many of those people might have voted for Fetterman but would have voted for Oz instead had they waited to cast their ballot until they saw that debate? We'll never know. And the Democrats did cheat in Pennsylvania again. That's a matter of fact. A matter of fact. That's not some kind of conspiracy theory. Project Veritas... Well, they released undercover footage of Project Veritas, you know, voters going undercover. And they have footage of rampant electioneering, right? So electioneering, this was in Philadelphia, they captured this. Surprise, surprise. It's illegal for one. Illegal. I-L-L-E-G-A-L. Not legal. It's illegal. Which uh, electioneering includes, you know, putting up uh, campaign posters or signs on on polling places, distributing campaign materials, soliciting votes for or against any person, any political party at polling locations. And Democrat activists were positioned inside polling places and outside polling places throughout Philadelphia, instructing these undercover Project Veritas voters to vote for Democrats. The Democrats cheated. And Democrats have mastered the art of election theft, okay? Sometimes, yes, they legally change the rules to benefit them, and other times they outright violate the law. They play dirty, we don't, and they win. I'll get into that in a minute, some more of that in a minute. But look, the, the, the media is, is telling you, you know, that Republicans are finished that this was somehow a Democrat victory. It was not. They're spinning this. Do not listen to the media. Today and the next week, tune them out. Tune them out. The Democratic Party and rhinos, they're using identity politics, right? You know, you've got a black constituency, you've got a Jewish constituency, you've got suburban white mothers, you know, you've got, uh, you name it, the blue collar folks, the working class, the LBGQT, few, that's a lot of letters, crowd. You know, all these different groups, they try and break up as if we don't have the same needs, which is a strong economy, opportunity, Government off our backs. They divide and conquer. And they're doing that to the Republican Party right now. MAGA. They're attacking MAGA. They're saying they're radical. You know, you, you're saying we need, we need more moderate candidates. You don't have this happening in the Democratic Party, notice. They're completely united. They vote for Fetterman. Not only one of the most radical Democrats ever to run for elected office, 
But um, the second most brain dead senator ever voted for in America, the first being Joe Biden. And so they want to say this was a rejection of MAGA. Uh, it was not. This was this was not a repudiation of Trump. It was not. Look, J.D. Vance, who once was an anti-Trumper, he came, he swung all the way back over and praised Trump, become, became a pro-Trump candidate to get Trump's endorsement, changed his tune completely, and he won 53% to 46.7% for the Senate seat in Ohio against Tim Ryan. Tim Ryan, of course, was out there, you know, saying, I mean, basically using violent rhetoric against Republicans, MAGA Republicans, saying we need to kill the MAGA movement. Well, you know, if we want to cherry pick like the Democrats would do, we could point to that one instance and say, hey, look, voters are repudiating the Joe Biden agenda, the hate against MAGA Republicans, right? Look, we're going to look at this comprehensively with with rationality with objectiveness and i'm not blowing smoke because we got a lot of work to do and this was a reality check and we'll talk about what we actually learned from this in a minute so you know the democrats are just picking and choosing races to craft this narrative i mean look gretchen whitmer won in 2018 with 53.3 of the vote all right Tuesday, she won with 54.5% of the vote. But let me point this out. In 2018, Gretchen Whitmer got 2,266,193 votes. Tuesday, she got 2,425,440 votes. More votes than 2020. More votes than 2018, I should say. But Tudor Dixon got more votes than the Republican did back in 2018. Look, it was a pipe dream to think that we were just, look, not everyone's on the same page as us. It's just, it's not going to happen that fast. I mean, I understand we look at this and we say, I mean, how do people not get it? How could any, look, from my perspective, I don't see how any Democrat won any election in this country. How do you reelect Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Ilhan Omar? How did any Democrat survive? In the midterm races, right? I mean, if we truly lived in a sane world in which people were patriotic and loved the country and were not indoctrinated, there wouldn't be a single Democrat that was elected. But that's, that's like I said, this has been going on for 70 years. You're not going to peel off every one of these voters, well, ever, frankly, but it takes time. It takes time, and we need to shift our focus to 2024. We need to look at what succeeded in 2022 in the midterms, what work we need to do. And that's why I say this is a reality check, and I, I'm, I'm actually thankful for this. I'm thankful for this because we can learn things from this. We can see where we need to put in the work, what the issues are. Now, look, in New York, Mike Lawler, he's a Republican. He unseated the Democrat Sean Patrick Maloney. In the New York 17th District, that Congress seat. Maloney had held the seat, the Democrat, that is, since 2013. This is in New York. So no, Zeldin didn't win New York. But here you have an upset, right? So it's happening, but it's not happening everywhere at one time. Um, look, you know, here, here's the thing. I want, I, want to, I want to point this out. You know, I'm sorry we're kind of going all over the place, but I want to make sure I hit all the points that I want to make today. You know, we went into this, and, and the Democrat base, you know, we were saying they're not very energized. They're likely to sit this election out. Democrats knew that was going to happen. They know that's going to happen. I'll tell you how they solved this problem in California. Well, we have universal mail-in ballots. So every person on the voter rolls, whether you're dead or alive, gets automatically sent, you know, a quote unquote absentee ballot in the mail. Whether you ask for it or not, everyone gets one. Like I said, whether they're dead, alive and, or, or live in the state, moved out of the state, doesn't matter. Voter rolls, you get it. You get one mailed to you or several, whatever. 
So now, what do the Democrats also do in California? They legalize the practice of ballot harvesting. So Democrats aren't enthused to vote. Well, tell you what, they're going to get a mail-in ballot. And then Democrat activists are going to go to that door, knock on it, and say, hey, are you voting this election? Are you a Democrat? Yes. Why aren't you voting? Uh, I'm just not really. Well, I'll tell you what. You don't have to deliver this ballot. I'll wait here outside or I'll sit there if you want to offer me a, a pot of coffee. You fill out the ballot, vote for Democrats, and then I will take that ballot for you and I'll deliver it. Problem solved. So do you see how this works? And now this is this is not illegal in California anymore. So my point is, you know, Democrats are better organized. They're better financed. I mean, look, Democrats outspent Republicans two, three, four to one in some cases in this. I think I can't remember the figure was 16.4 billion or something overall that was spent in the midterm elections, but it's an enormous amount of money. And meanwhile, Mitch McConnell and the rhinos, they oppose Republican candidates that they don't like. They withhold the money and they sabotage their own party's chances for victory. That's not happening in the Democratic Party. They're playing to win. And we've got a war in our own party that the Democrats are taking advantage of, propping up Liz Cheney's and, uh, you know, Adam Kinzinger's, Murkowski's, Romney's, all these people, right, that aren't going to save the country. I mean, you know, they're attacking MAGA because it works. They're attacking MAGA because it's effective. And Trump was effective. Even if you don't like him, even if you had a problem with his personality, forget what the media says for a minute. Just think back to how the economy was going under Trump. Think about the fact that North Korea was behaving itself. Think about the fact that China was finally forced to pay us something. Think about the fact that Russia wasn't invading Ukraine back then, that we did not have wars, that we had relative peace in the Middle East. We had all these peace deals throughout the Middle East. That was under Trump. But, oh, he's such a mean person, such a bad person. I don't like his personality. Enough with that. Enough with that. And we'll get into where we need to go and what needs to happen going to 2024. Because, look, I know this is a hot topic. I know it's very controversial. People don't like what's happening, you know. Between Trump and DeSantis now, all this speculation about a word here and a word there. Can Trump win? Should he step aside? Should it be DeSantis? I know. Look, we don't know yet. We don't know yet. Politics is fickle. One moment you've got momentum and like that, with a snap of the fingers, you don't. It changes. And this is the thing, you know, I, I, I look and this is like all of this, these unrealistic expectations. You know, I had people emailing me, calling me, wanting me to come on their shows yesterday, right, on midterms, on Tuesday, to talk about the election. And I, I really don't like doing it. I don't like doing it. I don't like watching it. You know, it's like the Super Bowl. It's The, you know, the game starts at 6.30 p.m. Eastern, generally speaking, I think. And you got people starting at 9 a.m. just talking about the game. Oh, you know, uh, the 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 momentum's really with uh, with the Cowboys this year. You know, I mean, they 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 had a rough start, but you know, they are undefeated for the past five games. I mean, it's really looking like they could they could beat the Steelers this year. Oh, I don't know, I don't know, Rudy. Uh, the 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 Steelers, you know, uh, they, they 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 you know they had an undefeated season almost until they lost that final game. Well, what does that do to their mentality? Do you think they're having an uphill battle now? If they're having to to worry about this. I mean, the Cowboys are on a streak. They finally had their streak broken. What do you think is going to happen? Are they going to score uh, ten touchdowns or four touchdowns? What do you think the score is going to be tonight, Billy? It's stupid. It's incessant. But anyway, I did it on one show. It's fine. I'm not attacking. I mean, I you know, I just I don't like to do it because it's just empty words. It's speculation about nothing. You don't know. And this proves it. This proves it. Look, I was one of the people that also believed that we were going to get, you know, uh, 53 Senate seats, that it was going to be a, a, a tsunami. And that's based on, of course, the information we were, we were fed about the polling and all these closing things and the momentum being on the Republican side. Well, I don't know. I mean, these, these pollsters, they've got egg in their face. And so do I and many of us, actually, for, for listening to that. And maybe there's a lesson in that. Now, I don't think that that affected our, our turnout. You know, it seems to me that we did turn out and vote. But, you know, in places like Pennsylvania that were close races, I mean, what are you going to do? 
What are you going to do? You, you got Democrats violating the law, engaging in electioneering. And that's the thing. I What was the... Um, let me find this here. <clears throat> I'm just looking for what the results were exactly for um, Fetterman here. So yeah, Fetterman got 2.6 million votes. We went over this, I think. Oz nearly 2.5 million. So, you know, we're talking about 100,000, a little over 100,000, whatever it votes. I don't know. I don't know. Um, But look, You know, these Democrats, they're willing to do whatever it takes to win. And uh, here's what I'll say about this. We still have serious issues with election integrity. We do. We do. And in states that we have the authority, right, we own the legislatures, the red states, to make elections more secure, we make them more secure. We have to eliminate these mechanisms that the Democrats rely upon to gain an advantage. And in states where we have no control, well, we have to adapt and embrace the tactics to the left. I'm sorry. What are we going to do in California, for example? Now, a lot of people just give up on California altogether. Okay, whatever. I don't think we should ever do that. But when 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 it's the law of the land to, to go and harvest ballots, what are we going to say? No, we're too good for that? Look. We need to become better organized. We need to become better uh, funded. And, and the Democrats, like I said, I mean, they have mastered the art of election theft and elections in general. You know, it's not really about campaigning anymore. Campaigns don't seem to matter. It's just about going to people, grassroots. And look, you know, there's an example here, by the way. This, this, is, this is what I'm talking about. It's just a, a party vote. People's ears are closed off. It's just... Either Democrats are good and Republicans are bad or vice versa. Um, there was a, a, a dead individual in Pennsylvania that voters voted on. I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of. Where is this? Bear with me. Bear with me. I can't find it now. Anyway, it was a it was a Democrat who was running. Uh, what was his name? Tony DeLuca, I, th I think. Tony DeLuca. Tony DeLuca was a Democrat. He was already, I, I think he was an incumbent, but he was running for one of the state seats. I don't know if it was the assembly, the state house in Pennsylvania, but he died on October 9th. He's dead. Now, yeah, you could say maybe they the, these voters just said, hey, I'd rather vote for you know, a dead guy than a Republican, but but look, these voters didn't know he was dead. I guarantee it. I mean, it's abject ignorance, but they voted for a dead guy. So let's let's look at Florida. A bright spot here. A bright spot here. I think it's important. So what happened in Florida? There was a red tsunami, right? Marco Rubio got nearly 4.5 million votes. He won with 57.7%. He beat Val Demings, the Democrat, who only got 3.2 million votes. Now, DeSantis got 4.6 million votes, 59.4%. Charlie Crist, who on election day was saying, you're done, DeSantis. Well, he only got 3.1 million votes. DeSantis won by nearly 20 percentage points. 20 percentage points. Do you know how many votes... DeSantis won by in 2018, 30,000 some odd votes. He beat Andrew Gillum, the Democrat, 49.6 to 49.2%. Four years later, DeSantis just won by nearly 1.5 million votes. And he got 600,000 approximately more votes Tuesday than he did four years ago. And the Democrat candidate got one million fewer votes than in 2018. Florida's off the table for Democrats. It's bright red. And this is, this is the takeaway from the midterms. Was it a red tsunami across the board? It was not. But here's the trend. For the most part, 
blue states stayed relatively blue. But Republicans made a little bit of ground there. So Democrat states, okay, they stayed blue, but they're a little less blue in 2022. Red states stayed red, but they got a shade more red. So the shift is happening, but not as fast as we want it to. So how do we respond? What are we going to do? And um, like I said, this was a tourniquet election. And um, there are four Senate seats. I mean, last I, I checked, they hadn't been called. You've got what happened in Georgia with uh, Herschel Walker and, and Raphael Warnock. That's going to go to a runoff. And this is thanks to the, the stupid, I'm sorry, you, the stupid Libertarian Party in Georgia. I mean, so Warnock had, well, last I looked, about 34,000 more votes than Walker. The Libertarian candidate got over 81,000 votes, wasted votes. Who does this benefit, having a Libertarian in there? The Democrats. You don't have a socialist running to take votes away from the Democrats. No, they love this. Just so absurd. Things like this. Things like this. You know, and if we were smart like Democrats, we'd go into Georgia like the FBI does, you know, staging these uh, kidnappings of Whitmer and so on and so forth. And we would fund a socialist party to run against and challenge the Democrats in these elections. This is what Democrats do. They take advantage of the rules and they break the rules, too. But this is the thing, you know, that I guarantee you can find Democrat money that funds this libertarian party. Because it helps the Democrats. And that's what they're trying to do to the Republican Party right now by attacking MAGA constantly. They want us at each other's throats. They want us divided. I do believe there are more of us out there than leftists. But if we're divided, we're not. So you've got the Georgia race, Walker, Warnock. That's going to be a runoff. I think, like I said, I don't really love the prediction game, but I think Walker is going to win. In Nevada, you have Adam Laxalt versus uh, Mastro. We poured a lot of money into that. We really campaigned hard for Adam Laxalt. And, you know, last I checked, Adam Laxalt was ahead. He could win. He could win. I hope he does. Arizona, you got Mark Kelly and Blake Masters. It's closing. I don't know that Blake Masters can pull it off. Alaska is going to be Republican, that Senate seat. Kelly uh, Shabaka. And Lisa Murkowski, two Republicans, they're at the top of the ticket. One of them is going to be the Republican senator from Alaska. So, you know, right now, you know, it looks like we could have a 51-50 majority in the Senate. So that's worth noting. Um, I just want to talk about these results again in general with you. The results weren't what we hoped. They were disappointing. But we did not lose. And it is not over. It took Jimmy Carter to get Ronald Reagan. And America's best days, I promise you, are still ahead for us. But, you know, unfortunately, it looks like, what, millions of Americans need to suffer the consequences of their ignorance further. And that's just the truth. Look, we've hit rock bottom, but other people have not yet hit rock bottom. And so, you know, I, I just I just want to point out again that, you know, the real upset, I think, well, you know, actually in Florida, look what happened in Florida. It's more conservative than anyone could have ever imagined, right? Especially Miami-Dade County. Miami-Dade County. A hugely blue county that by double digits used to go for Democrats. It's now red. So Florida's more conservative. Arizona and New York, well, they're not as conservative as we believed. Kerry Lake could still win, but it's not a blowout. <clears throat> but, you know, we like Kerry Lake. And so, you know, we figured that I'm going to take a drink of water here. Sorry. 
you know, we assume that people see the landscape the way we do, but they don't yet. <laughs> Pardon me. Stacey Abrams, right? She lost her second bid for governor of Georgia. Beto O'Rourke, he was rejected by Texans for the third time. This is what I'm talking about. The Democrats didn't shellac us. We didn't shellac them. But we made up more ground than they did. So, you know, look, I mean, the Democrats were set up for celebration and we were set up for, for this pity party. I mean, the bar was so low for them and so high for us that it was impossible that, that really we were ever going to reach that outcome. And so the real upset to me is that there weren't really any upsets. And like I said, the goal was to retake the House and Senate, which may very well be achieved. It's looking like the House is going to be Republican. The Senate still up in the air. But I think worst case, it's the same situation as before, 50-50. And so the Democrats still have a problem dealing with Manchin, dealing with Kirsten, Kirsten Cinema. So in many ways, you can say we did it. Mission accomplished. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not downplaying the significance of winning that Congress. But like I said, they were they, it was about preventing damage, further damage to America. We can't pass legislation. We can't implement policy. It didn't matter if we took every single seat available in the House and Senate. Joe Biden had the has the ability as the executive to veto the legislation. And so you want to know my takeaway from from last night is that we have a lot of work to do. And we need to resist playing this blame game. And we've just got to confront reality. And I want to tell you what the reality is. America is more conservative today than it was yesterday or two years ago. America is also just as divided, if not more, than it was two years ago. We still have serious elections with our election integrity. And we need to do what I said. Secure them where we can. And start figuring out a way to compete with Democrats using their own rules in places like Philadelphia and other places. That's it. And, um, you know, every single day we need to approach it like it's election day. The reason I point out that the Democrats have been at this for, you know, 70 some odd years Is because, you know, people are just waking up now and we think that this is all going to be solved with one election. That's not the case. We have so much work still to do. Well, what do you what do you all think out there about um, this uh, brewing Trump DeSantis feud? Now, I'm sure this is extremely divisive in the Republican camp. Now, on the one hand, you've got, you know, a group of people who are diehard DeSantis fans. That's I don't see why these have to be mutually exclusive, by the way. You know, I heard one pundit out there, and I think this is an interesting statement to make, that, look, the, the, the DeSantis support is Trump support. So it's not DeSantis or Trump. The majority of those people support Trump and also support DeSantis. And if it comes down to it, most of those people are actually going to throw their weight still behind Donald Trump, not DeSantis. As popular as DeSantis is, you know, this is still Trump's party. And, you know, these are the debates that are going to take place. I mean, it looks like Trump's going to announce that he's going to run for president. And that's strategic. I mean, he's getting ahead of things. Uh, he's also probably going to force Joe Biden, if he does that, to, to announce and make a decision whether he's going to run or not. He's, he's putting pressure on the Democrats if he announces he's going to be running. And, you know, and the spotlight's going to be back on him. I think they've had kind of a Trump blackout. Now, they, ha they haven't stopped covering Trump, but they don't interview him. They don't allow him to speak for himself. It's just, you know, they raid his home in Mar-a-Lago. They sue him. They, they tell stories about him, whatever else. But they're not covering him. That would all change if this takes place. Now, I just want to caution people against something. And I, I've had this conversation with, with a number of, uh, of people before. You know, a lot of people's problem with Donald Trump on our side seems to be what I call Trump fatigue syndrome, right? On the left, it's called Trump derangement syndrome. 
On our side, it's Trump fatigue syndrome. They've got a mental illness in which they just hate Trump. They want to destroy him. They can't tolerate the thought of him even breathing, being alive. They can't tolerate his existence is a threat to democracy. And there's nothing they won't do to destroy him and prevent that from happening. Now, on our side, we're just sick of the hatred. And we think that Trump is unelectable, that if we go with a DeSantis or someone else, then the media will lighten up, that the Democratic Party will become more tolerant, that their attacks will lessen because we believe that Trump's the problem, not the Democratic Party. No matter who gets the nomination for Republican for president in 2024, they're going to be treated in the same way that Trump has been. They're going to be eviscerated. They're going to continue to, 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 to move that movement of MAGA to that next person. Because what is the MAGA movement anyway? What is so controversial about the MAGA movement? Make America great again? A movement that's about patriotism, love of country, that advocates for a strong economy, a strong border, Upholding the laws, America first. That's the American way. That's the constitutional way. MAGA is not some radical movement. It's an American movement. It's the left that has the radical movement, the anti-American agenda. And I do think we need to do a better job of putting labels on the Democrats, true ones. But we have to play this game. These people are Marxists. They need to be called, called Marxists. They're not some, you know, American party who just has some slight differences of opinion about how to govern. They are anti-American. Their ideology has imported communist and Marxist elements and, com and components. That's what it is. You know, I, I was having a conversation not long ago. I, I, I met these two couples. They were from Iowa. Uh, Grand Rat. Now, where were they from? Flyover country. See, nobody. I'm just kidding. Uh, anyway, they were from Iowa. Iowa. See, hold on. This, this is just this is just bothering me. Um, okay. Well, I have no internet or something like that. You know, it's funny. These kind of things are so irrelevant to the audience, but it just bothers me. Cedar Rapids is where they're from. Cedar Rapids. And I don't, I'm going solo today. I don't have uh, Mr. Producer, uh, the captain with me. So I can't, I can't get any, uh, any help here. It's all, I'm, I'm, I'm on my own right now. But anyway, I was talking to these two couples, all right, from Iowa. And uh, what, what it turned out to be is they were really just ashamed Democrats. Now, we were talking about the United States, the state of things. One of them was a teacher. He's, he was a Democrat. He'd been a teacher for 25 years. And I asked him about the gender ideology, about the pronouns and all that. I mean, this is Iowa, right? Is this happening in public schools in Iowa? He said, yeah. And there's nothing he can do about it. He said he's more confused than the kids. Every day, they're changing their pronoun, changing their name. And the worst part is, by order, you know, he's not allowed to talk to the parents about it. Now, he's not an advocate for this radical gender ideology to confuse our children and destroy and disrupt the nuclear family and create a new victim class. But that's happening in Iowa. That's happening in Iowa. But anyway, we talked about America, and these guys genuinely loved America. They, they use the word Trumpism. So, right, they've, they've drank the Kool-Aid. They hate Trump, you know. And this is what I've noticed about a lot of these Democrats. You know, a lot of them are dissatisfied with the state of the country. They understand that what the Democratic Party is doing is not working, that Biden is a danger to America, but they will make up any excuse they can and go out of their way to, in their minds, just believe that, convince themselves that Republicans are so much worse. You know, so they'll ignore the radical components of their own party. Instead, just say, oh, those Republicans are so radical. Well, you're the guys who are advocating for uh, genitalia, mutilation of genitalia of children without parental consent. You're advocating for the teaching of critical race theory, which is Marxism, derived from Marxism, but a lot of Democrats don't understand that. 
Um, you know, you're advocating for, um, uh, you know, this Green New Deal. You want to unrealistically, absurdly just get rid of all fossil fuels, which is our source of energy in this country, and go over to windmills and solar panels. You know, windmills. Yeah, okay, well, not all places can use those, and the efficiency is not as great. Solar panels, they've got selenium in them. They've got lead. I mean, all these things, the irony is not only do they not produce energy, not only also are they based on a hoax that we are responsible, right? <sighs> that's me breathing out CO2, but that's a toxin when it comes from something else that's not me, right? So they know exactly how much CO2. You know, it's so funny, you know, uh, how much CO2 does the average person produce uh, over the course of his or her lifetime? A lot. You know, I'm, I'm interested. I'm waiting for the abortion crowd to argue and talk about how many degrees we've shaved off, how much good we've done for the planet because of the 63 million or whatever abortions we've had since Roe v. Wade. But, you know, that's another thing they advocate for, right? Taxpayer funded abortion on demand up until, you know, the point of viability, up until birth. Those are their policies, but we on the right are extreme because we believe in states' rights, that we advocate for the value of the unborn, a human life. We, we, we talk about how we should revere it and respect it, that abortion shouldn't be celebrated and encouraged, that it shouldn't be used as birth. That's extreme. We advocate for upholding the Constitution, for the rule of law, for police. That makes us radical? I, I don't think so. But that's where these people were going. And I mentioned, I said, you know, I brought up the COVID amnesty article, right? You've got, um, you know, you had that that communist over at the Atlantic writing this article saying that we need to forgive each other. I did a whole whole segment on this. But, you know, they just want us to forgive and forget what they did to us, right? The vaccine mandates, the, you know, Joe Biden uh, calling us unpatriotic, them lying about the efficacy of the vaccine, they knew because it hadn't even been tested uh, for you know uh, preventing transmission and contraction. So they, they, they knew that it didn't work, but they still implemented vaccine mandates to segregate Americans who didn't get the jab that didn't work anyway. Unbelievable. But when it comes to slavery, which none of us experienced in our entire lifetimes, no living man or woman today participated in, well, that they want to teach kids. So with COVID, what they did with that un-American experiment, we're just supposed to forget, pretend like it never happened, even though it affected all of us living today. But slavery, which Republicans fought to abolish, that none of us experienced, well, we're supposed to teach that to our children? No, no, why don't we teach COVID, the lesson to, to children about COVID, what these deranged lunatics on the left did to our children, to our economy, to our country, how they lied to us, how they covered up evidence to fundamentally transform America. That's what we should be teaching our kids. But no, no, no. They want to introduce this radical Marxist ideology. But anyway, I brought up to this woman, I said, when I made that point, she said, oh, well, you know, but the Democrats, they they switched. You know, they, they, they used to be that party of racism and, you know, they were anti-black, but then they switched. The big switch. The big switch that never was. These Democrats... The reason the Democrats continue to tell this legend that isn't true, that in, you know, 1964, Lyndon B. Johnson signs the Civil Rights Act of 1964 into law and miraculously all their hundred plus year history of racism was erased and transmitted to the Republicans. You know, it was the Republicans get got that passed. The Democrats stood in the way of the passage of the Civil Rights Act of 1964, just as they had opposed every Civil Rights Act prior to that. And they bamboozled the American people, bamboozled the, the, the black population in America. And, you know, they basically signed a contract with blacks. But, you know, blacks gave them their support but got nothing in return except damage, harm, harm, destruction. So, yeah, there's systemic racism in America, but it's from the Democratic Party, which opposes, for example, voucher programs. Why would they do this? We have segregation today. If you're a poor black kid living in some community, well, you're stuck there. So you got a black school over here, and then you got a white school over here with more wealthy people that have a better education. 
you're segregated. Well, here's the Republican proposed solution. Give them vouchers. If you want, we'll give you money so that you can leave this horrible school that churns out illiterates and you can go to this white school over here or, you know, it doesn't have to be called a white school, but I'm saying that's what it comes out to. You can go get a good education, but they oppose that. Why? Why? The Democrat Party's never changed. Never changed. Not in their entire history. They're the same they were back then. You ain't black if you don't vote for me. What? You know, this is the thing. Did Democrats in the 19th century not say, you know, by virtue of your skin color, you're a slave because you're black? And do they not today say, just like Joe Biden told Charlemagne the God, well, your skin color determines whether or not who you vote for. You ain't black if you don't vote Democrat. Insanely racist party. Insanely racist party. Um, but anyway, look, they've thrown in with the radicals. We've got to do a better job of continuing to, to, to push this fight forward and march forward. Um, and, and like I said, we did gain ground. So we don't need to throw up our hands. Up. We didn't regress. We're making progress here. But it takes time. Like I said, they, they have infiltrated everything. The education system. So we have always had an uphill battle. And just because people are waking up today, that's not enough. They got to keep waking up. And unfortunately, like I said, some people haven't hit rock bottom. Some of these people, it's like, you know, I've had I've, I've had addicts, uh, you know, in my family. I've been to rehabs uh, to support them. And, and you know, you, you keep expecting somebody to wake up and see the light. You say, surely, you know, this inflation, this situation right now in America, the gas prices. Right. Like, surely this is going to compute with somebody and let them realize that they cannot vote Democrat anymore. But it didn't happen for everyone. For some, it did. But for many, it didn't. They haven't hit rock bottom. And unfortunately, it's affecting all of us. And they have to learn the hard way. They have to learn the hard way. The only regret, the only unfortunate thing is that most of us were impacted by this together as a nation. Now, you know, in blue states, you're going to have worse situation than if you live in the free state of Florida, for example. So that's kind of the, the way of shielding yourself. But, I, you know, I, I just, I have to push back at this idea that, that things are hopeless now. You know, some, some pundits out there, some of them very famous, some of them uh, I respect, like you uh, do, you know, they're saying that, you know, this is, we, we can't cure the United States, that it's a done deal. Just move to a red state and be done with it. I, I, I just, I don't, I don't, I can't get on board with the, the fatalistic nature of that. Now, look, I don't, I'm not saying you shouldn't move to a red state and be happy. That's great. But, you know, this idea that we should give up on, because this country is what it is. It's 50 states. You know, we can't just give up and go to our little enclave and not fight this ideological battle. We have to do it to save the country. So look, here's, here's what we have to do. We cannot let the Democrats write the narrative for us, shape our reality. And the reality is we've got to get rid of the MAGA stuff. They are trying to sow discord in our own party so that they can divide and conquer and defeat us. MAGA is the way to go. MAGA is the way to go. And uh, we don't need to play the blame game right now. We don't need to play the blame game at all. Um, and, and, you know, we're in for two more years of the Joe Biden, the Biden administration. And in those two years, a lot can change. And, you know, the momentum, it may be with Trump. It may be with DeSantis. We'll see. But, you know, Trump is out there saying it's a bad idea for DeSantis to run. Okay. That's a debate we need to continue having, but we don't need to we don't need to come out hating Trump, hating DeSantis. The goal is to win. The goal is to win. And and politics is dirty and it's vicious. So Trump coming out and saying Ron DeSanctimoni, it's going to get ugly. It's going to get ugly. But that's politics. We don't need to be sanctimonious here ourselves and say, "Oh, Trump, he can't do that." We need this war to happen. We need it settled sooner rather than later. And um you know, these are grown adults. I think that they have the best interest of the country in their minds and hearts. And um, I, I just think we need to keep an open mind here. And, and, and while we can fight for candidates and have disagreements and arguments, we need to 
Resist the urge to just divide ourselves. Resist falling into the trap the Democrats are trying to set for us, which is to make this party just torn apart. So don't listen to me. Listen to me. All right, we'll get into this some more uh, shortly. Um, thanks for tuning in. This is, of course, Drew Allen. God bless you all, and until next time.